Trevilian Next is a division of Trevilian, a financial services specialist search and talent advisory firm. Since inception, the Trevilian team has dedicated itself to enhancing the return on investment of a company's most important resource, its people. Hello, everyone. My name is Brian Love. I'm the head of banking and fintech recruiting at Trevilian. Trevilian is celebrating its 25-year anniversary this year, helping financial institutions across the country with their talent, succession, recruitment, and retention needs. Today, I am joined by Scott Mills, president of William Mills Agency, which is one of the most well-known PR marketing firms in the financial services space. Welcome, Scott. Would you like to maybe further introduce yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, that was such a lovely introduction. I probably don't have much to add, but you know, it's a it's a pleasure to be here today and have this conversation. And um, you know, just to provide a little more context to who the agency serves, we work with uh, two of the most respected banking associations in the nation. That's ICBA and BAI. Uh, beyond that, we work with a number of companies that provide technologies or information that help run the financial industry. So names like Equifax and Jack Henry and uh, NCR, as well as a lot of uh, early and growth stage fintechs. And so it's, it's, I appreciate the chance to talk to you today. Yeah, Scott, you represent a kind of an interesting perspective on the space. And I know we have a lot of mutual friends out there and maybe even some clients we share. But the whole, um, you know, the, the, the reason I reached out to you was as we look back at the failure, failures of Silicon Valley Bank, um, Signature Bank back in March and the others, um, I wanted to actually get a PR marketing guru's take on, on those bank failures. And Silicon Valley Bank specifically, there was a lot of talk about how social media expedited the departure of deposits, Twitter, right? It kind of caught fire through Twitter mm -hmm. and social media. And I wondered if a PR professional like yourself like, could kind of re reverse engineer how they could have better handled that. Mm -hmm. Or at the very least, just tell me your perspective of that. Yeah, happy to. And, you know, we've got the benefit of a couple of weeks, a couple of months that, since this has happened. Uh, if you were to look over on the other side of my wall, you would see um, a little museum I have for, uh, for money. And in banking, and one of the things I've since bought is I bought an SVB employee water bottle. I was like, I need something SVB for my museum so we can talk about it because it leads to interesting discussions. You know, that's um, that bank's um, experience was uh, breathtaking. And um, you and I, I hope you don't mind me sharing the story, but you're like, uh, how do you feel about a collapse that uh, was caused by social media? I was like, it wasn't caused by social media. So here, and, and let's have some fun here. But um, I, I had a nice conversation with a friend of mine who's in the venture business. And he said, you know, it was a matter of self-preservation. That's what happened. If you were a VC uh, portfolio and you had a lot of portfolio companies with their assets, their money, at SBB, and you were concerned you might not, not have access to that or might lose some of it, you were having emails go out saying, hey, uh, something's happening here. 
uh, we need you to move your money. So uh, email may have had more impact than social media in in how quickly money was being uh, pulled out of the bank. Uh, but I, I, I think the point to focus on here was a matter of self-preservation. So there was no fixing this via social media. They could have done some things differently. They may have scared some people. It's kind of like um, if you see a bank president say, it's all safe, your money's safe here with us, there's nothing to worry about, but you've never seen that person before. I'd be more nervous seeing that mess. That's me. But, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, there's been a lot written about SVB and the amount of non-insured deposits. And it led to a lot of good discussions. And I think long-term, it's really good for the industry because maybe we'll see different approaches to regulation, different approaches to managing risk, you know, all these things bankers are really good at. Uh, but we have kind of a three-tiered system. We have large banks, regional banks, and community banks. And um, they just run totally different. You can't compare uh, a bank in, in uh, Albany, Georgia, and serving the community to what, what happened at SVB Bank. And the, the, the other shocking thing about all this um, uh, coverage about SVB and other banks in trouble was we've managed to scare uh, the people. Uh, people here in the U.S. are now, it, it, I know I've seen some studies, but there's, there's been at least one study about how people are nervous about the banking industry. They really shouldn't be. So um, I wish I had a nice clean answer on, um, you know, what I would have done differently. I think it was a, um, uh, I don't want to say, it's not exactly unique, but it's a rare, what, what they experienced and who their customers were and the risk associated with SVB was just dramatically different than most other banks' experiences. Well, and I guess the other thought there, Scott, is, and I agree, you know, I, I appreciate you kind of disagreeing um, with me, but you, one part of the job that you do for your clients is crisis communication. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. I'm just kind of curious, you know, cause you did see a little bit of a trickle down effect that a lot of my smaller banks did, did face a little bit of deposit outflow, but they also frankly got a lot of deposits in too. In terms of crisis communications, a run on the bank has got to be like the 50th thing on the list of what you're, you know, you, you know, hurricane, earthquake, those things are probably a little bit more top of the list. <laughs> I'm just curious what your advisory is. Have you heard from more banks, you know, kind of thinking through a bank run or a failure during their, their crisis communication? Yeah, so the interest in crisis planning is up a little bit, is our personal experience. I don't have uh, broader research to show that, but people are thinking about it. And I, it, I'm a little surprised every bank doesn't have a crisis plan now. And some of that kind of stuff is boring stuff. You reference kind of physical challenges like a tornado or a fire or something like that. Um, that falls under the more easy bucket to fix, you know, or to plan for in a comms plan. Um, but here's the secret from, from, from my seat. Most people don't game plan crises until they actually happen. And in, in the case of this bank, if they had asked me to do a plan, I probably would have you know, uh, said, great. Uh, but you, you said maybe 50, that probably would have been somewhere around 100 or 200. The <laughs> bank experiencing run. That just, that just 
wasn't on anybody's radar, which what just makes it so amazing. And we, we should learn from that. And we should, um, to your point, you're giving me a lesson on, on crisis planning. We should include some references to crisis of reputation, maybe, you know, maybe it comes in different forms, you know, um, you know, that, that, you know, what do we do in the event? Our reputation as a financial institution has taken a hit. You know, what, who should be talking, you know, what kinds of uh, things should we be, how can we address it? How much can we game plan? And one thing I enjoy is the occasional um, mock exercise with a financial institution or an executive where I pretend to be a reporter and ask them questions that they've never really planned for. And then you watch their face, you know, all the blood drain and stuff. And then uh, part of the the fun is dissecting what they said and what they should have said afterwards. So uh, media training is is really meant to be um, a practice exercise. It's not meant like how do you how do you work around a reporter and sneaky questions? It's how do you prepare to answer difficult questions um, and think on your feet? So kind of oh, yeah. like you right now, you're I'm all nervous here. You asking me questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You need some I think you need some rouge to get some more of that color in your face because I'm such an intimidating interviewer. Um, but no, reputational risk is real. And you made me think of, you know, like Silvergate Bank and the proximity yeah. to FTX and crypto and just that reputational connection to that world. You know, there's more to it, but that kind of sunk that bank, which is still alive, by the way. They have not totally failed just yet. Um, in any event, let me move on. And I appreciate your thoughts on that. You know, crisis of confidence and loyalty. Um you know, the rise of bank deposits and relationships moving from bank to bank. And, you know, I think you had, you and I talked about, you know, how Apple came out with a good savings rate and everyone seems mm-hmm. to do that. I just kind of, you know, I wanted to hear your take on, you know, best practices for, for financial institutions in this moment where rates are off the charts, consumers have woken up, you know, what's the best way to keep a consumer at your bank? Mm, yeah, that sounds like a baby billion dollar question right there. I know. Um, it, and I, we can go a couple different directions with, with that question. Um, some of it's technology, some of it's people. Um, I, I'll start with, with two examples. One, our small business in Buckhead, North Atlanta, basically, uh, been around since 1977, only had a handful of banking relationships. We're very loyal. Or maybe we're lazy, but part of it, part of um, our our desire to switch banks recently was we didn't have a relationship with anybody that, that mattered, and there was a change in ownership, and we just felt like we were kind of like a second class citizen. Now it wouldn't have taken much to keep us, and and actually we are keeping some business there. We're just opening up another account and having a relationship with another bank that may eventually take that one over. Um, so it, it, it's a little simplistic to say you need to have, you know, appropriate amount of touch points and people, but reality is we didn't have a banking partner or we didn't have a bank that felt like a partner anymore. Maybe it did in the beginning when we needed a commercial mortgage for the, for the building we're in. Um, uh, that's, that's one thing. Uh, and, and 
I'll answer the question. But the other example I wanted to provide is my son, who doesn't have a whole lot of cash at the moment, is interested in a new bank as well. And I'm like, I'm happy to help you figure that out. You know, I'm kind of going through that with the business. And oddly enough, uh, against all research we've seen in the industry for the last, you know, 10 years, he wants to be able to go to a branch. That doesn't mean he's going to go there, but I'm like, a branch? He goes, yeah, well, I want to I want to be able to look at somebody if something's not, you know, right, or I got questions. I'm like, I get it, but you also want a great digital experience. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. Um, so let's talk about um, loyalty. Okay, in the case of the Apple card, they were flashing a really great return on savings, and um I'm curious to see if they can convert that hot money into long-term customers. And the answer is they probably got a pretty good shot because people like Apple and they do a good job with technology. They'll figure it out. I think they're stumbling now. I, I did read a piece. I think it was an American banker about people it, it taking two weeks to get their money out. So anyway, they're, they're stubbing their toe a little bit now, but I think that's a long-term to keep the, uh, thing for us to all to keep our eye on and see what we learn from that is the answer uh, always give away the highest rate possible well if so well that's probably going to hurt our profitability a little bit the um, there is there are some things from a technology standpoint that banks and bankers need to be thinking about and i'm i'm a little stunned that more of them aren't studying the money flowing out of the bank yes we 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 use our primary bank as a kind of a payments warehouse. I got to pay that bill. I got to pay that bill. But there was a time when I was changing bank relationships. I was, I was taking big chunks of money and I was putting it over here, big chunks of money over here. Um, I shouldn't say too big. It was modest. But the no one from the, you know, if if that was a customer that I saw and and I saw them take their, you know, savings down by, you know, uh, 80%. Um, my, as a person, I'd be saying, I'd, I'd call them up and say, Hey, I see you're doing some things here. Uh, I want to make sure that, uh, we didn't do anything wrong, or is there something I can help you with? That's a personal thing, but you can use technology to help alert you to changes in behavior and things like just studying where the money's going. So if you were a bank and you saw a whole bunch of money going to Apple because of that, that rate, you got to address that issue. So it's it's not a technology issue. It's not a person, but it's it's a it's a it's an every everything problem. Or well, I hear I hear a lot of things there too. Like data is everything, right? You need to know where you know the habits of your clients. I'm I'm still flabbergasted about your son's decisioning for his. <laughs> I, I, my personal opinion is he likes lollipops or something like that. Maybe he likes talking to tellers. I don't know. <laughs> maybe or, or the change machines, maybe. But, um, <laughs> you know, ultimately, uh, um, the loyalty piece, the relationship piece is how it's really the, the, the main mission statement for community banks. Right. Is that you'll know your banker. And I yeah. see that moment you, you got to with William Mills where you didn't really know your banker anymore. Um, so I think that's incredibly important. This is, not, this is a rhetorical question. I just wanted to throw it out there. One of the best leaders I had when I was a banker, he always said to me, how many basis points is your service worth? And it, I thought it was a brilliant question because you know if that CD rate was 
25 basis points higher down the street, but they knew Brian was going to be their banker for 25 less, would they stay with Brian or would they go for 125, you know, for 25 minutes? Mm. So I always kind of throw that question out there. I think it's pretty ingenious. Um, yes. And I, I think part of the loyalty thing is what's the impact of people versus my loyalty to an institution. So um, for for us, staying with a bank that changed names, uh, you know, three or four times over 20 year period, um, we were loyal to them, but they weren't really loyal to us. And it wasn't until we realized that, um, my God, we've been doing business with them for this long, but no one cares. No one gives a crap. No one's coming around the office. Uh, maybe once a year we might get a business card thrown on our desk, but that's not good enough. You know, so um, for us, uh, we'd much rather, I used the term partner before, we'd rather have somebody we trust and consider a partner who can who can look at us as a business and say, hey, why don't we try this? Or I see that you've done this. Have you ever considered X? That kind of advice um, it, if you can get it when you ask for it, wonderful. If if a if a financial institution can figure out how to uh, flag things, um, bring things to uh, their attention based on data to have a better relationship, why wouldn't they do that? Yeah. Well, and everything you're talking about, it's it sounds like you want to have that piece of talent, that touch point at that bank that you know. So that's something yeah. you and I've talked about quite a bit in some of our previous conversations, talent. I think yeah. that's the big fire right now in, in the bank space. And I do feel like um, attracting those the talented individuals that will stay with your institution, that'll be your frontliners and backliners and executives. That's the big puzzle right now for community banks. What, what's your take on that, Scott? Uh, I. I think talent's probably more important than technology, to be honest with you. Um, I, I Nothing excites me more than meeting a creative banker, someone that thinks a little differently, somebody that's doing something a little um, special. You know, there, there, there's a banker I respect quite a bit in Nashville. They do a lot of work around manufactured housing. That's something I know very little about, but you can see the spark in his eye when he talks about that industry. And not only the industry, but how to provide affordable housing to a lot of people that can't afford houses these days. I mean, that gets me excited. You know, there's also a, a bank, I believe they're in Wisconsin, called Incredible Bank, that has done some really cool things in terms of uh, financing for uh, nice big RVs, you know. So a lot of banks finding, um, and I'm probably going way off the question you initially asked, but... Okay. Um, you know, um, it it's it's creative people in banking that make anything possible. So, um, uh, you know, as someone who represents a lot of technology firms, if the bank's not in a position to recognize how they could benefit or how they could grow or reduce fraud or do whatever with the stuff, you know, that that they're not going to get anywhere with with that discussion. I, I'm particularly interested in workforce development. I've been talking to a handful of universities around um, uh, the U.S. talking about what they teach and how they teach it. And uh, one of the things you may know being in the business you're in is 
uh, a lot of universities have taken the word banking out of, uh, of their degrees. They don't offer banking uh, degrees, they offer finance. Well, uh, for our industry, it's in all of our best interests to make sure people are, know that there are opportunities uh, as a profession in, in banking and um, uh, as, as best we can make it sexy. I, uh, it, it's been a few years, but I did give a discussion to some bankers a while back. And I said, look, if you have a green screen in your bank and you talk about the bank being around for more than 100 years, you're you're scaring off young people that want to do that that might want to come to work there. So you know you're competing with companies that have offices, technology firms. Um, uh, Google opened a nice big office in Atlanta, um, and if you want young talent that knows what what's possible with technology or doing new things uh, in, on the digital banking front. Uh, we've got a lot of competition. It's not the community bank or the regional bank across the street. It's cool companies that are now doing business in your area. Yeah, and, and thank you for shouting out. You made me think of Kathy Strasser, who I believe is uh, is still at Incredible Bank. Um, we know those guys a little bit. Yes. So I yeah. thought about them, and I think I know who you're talking about in Nashville as well. But it's a great point you make about, you know, you can't think about stealing talent directly from your bank competitor, you know, you, you really need to think about where the talent is going to and trying to intercept them from going to the Googles of the world. And frankly, if you steal from your bank competitor, you know, is it really going to like grossly improve unless that bank is already very progressive and innovative, right? Mm. Well, you got me thinking, um, there, the, I was, uh, I was, uh, at, at, uh, at an event with Jack Henry recently, and uh, they were sharing some research of bank CEOs and credit union CEOs. Um, and the question was around how many FTEs do you have that manage fintech partnerships? And, you know, I'm thinking probably a couple, I don't know. But for most community financial institutions, that answer is one or less. And so um, maybe that's a reflection of what they're asking the C-suite to be responsible for their EVPs or SVPs of operations, those kinds of things. But the reality is um, um, banks, as with a lot of companies, are built on decisions that were made previously, over previous years. Who, who are their primary or significant technology partners? Who are, who are the companies they align with? Who do they seek advice from? Do they have bank consultants that, that they check in and go, Hey, I'm thinking we need to do this. Who should I be looking at? The the answer is, um, you know, uh, let's let's take a look around uh, the, the bank and let's re let's be very candid and open and real about who's not at the table. Who who do we really need that we don't have now, and how are we going to get there? And uh, we just it, I I think talents uh, an ability to recreate yourself. And uh, we, we've talked about a couple of really talented bankers uh, even prior to this call. And, yeah. and, and again, it's, it's a reflection of, of, of the people that you have, um, uh, that they're service-minded, that they're problem solvers, that they're creative, that they're strategic in, in, in how they approach opportunity. And uh, you know, they're just not uh, comfortable with doing 
the same thing that everybody else is doing. Yeah. I think a lot of trends will come out of the first part of 2023 for talent, for the types of skill sets that banks are looking for. And I think that's going to do a lot with risk, financial risk, ALM. Um, I think you mentioned efficiencies and and technology quite a bit in, in other conversations. And I think people who understand AI, people who understand automation, saving money, I think that's going to be a big skill set. Generally, that skews a little younger, but it doesn't have to. It looks like you want to say something and then we'll, well come to a close here. Yeah. Well, if it's worth closing on. But you got me thinking <laughs> in your comments, I couldn't help but jump in. Um, okay. Maybe part of the talent that we're looking for at banks are, are the kinds of talent that can manage talent outside the organization. So I talked about, you know, who, who's around the table, but the sense that I'm getting is that banks will be using more third parties, more outside partners, vendors, solution providers, whatever you want to call them and at what level, but maybe the banker of the future is the one that can most successfully work with companies outside your organization that your success depends on. Hmm. Just a thought. That's a great thought. And also the risk manager who kind of protects the bank and the vendor to kind of bring it back to that reputational piece and, mm -hmm. and the third party risk management piece. I totally agree with, with you. So let's end on an agreement because we disagreed on so much. No, I'm joking. Oh, I also uh, like your shirt, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, we're going to edit that and put that at the very beginning. Um, <laughs> in any event, Scott, thank you so, so much for your time. It's actually, it's, it's very unique to hear someone in your, your line of work and, and your perspective. And I know you're a fan of the space like I am. So I look forward to future interactions. Uh, thanks again for having me.